0: Since 1993, Copenhagen Modern Furniture is Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary. With 25,000 square feet, Copenhagen showcases Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories for both home and office. Another plus, everything you see is in stock and ready for delivery. Whether you're looking for a simple leather sofa set or a full contemporary remodel, Copenhagen Imports has it copenhagen modern furniture 2236 breaker lane austin copenhagen modern furniture visit us online at copenhagenliving.com welcome to i love you so much the podcast about the people places
1: and things we love about austin our podcast is from the feature staff of the austin american statesman and we're sponsored by copenhagen furniture i'm austin 360 editor eric webb And in this week's episode, we are getting into the swing of spooky season by talking to horror actor Bruce Campbell. You probably know him best from the Evil Dead franchise, like Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, you know, those things. He's usually the guy with the chainsaw for a hand. Most importantly, he has a new memoir out, Hail to the Chin, for the confessions of a B-movie actor. And even more most importantly, if that even makes sense, he'll be in Austin October 23rd at the Paramount Theater for a screening of Army of Darkness, as well as a conversation. So that should be fun and should get people into the Halloween spirits. We recently talked to Bruce on the phone about the memoir writing process, what's next for him in the Evil Dead franchise, and, of course, what he loves about Austin. Here's our conversation with Bruce! <laughs> So uh, you're going to be at the Paramount Theater in Austin on October 23rd. Um, Correct. And it has, I checked the seating chart before uh, we called in, and you almost sold out, which is pretty rad. And I saw you tweeted about the low ticket alert. So have you been to Austin before, and did you know that Austin loved you so much?
2: I've been to Austin 400 times. Yeah? Um, yeah, Austin's a very cool place. It's the coolest city in the entire state. Uh, that in San Antonio, and I have to say San Antonio because I'm going there two days later, so <laughs> I have to include San Antonio in my love of Texas. But Austin is incredibly, uh, you know. Look, it's the hipster. It's the, every state, even if it's a Squaresville state, because most of Texas is Squaresville, let's not kid ourselves. Austin is not. It's the it's the hipster hideaway, the hipster haven. Every state has a place where hipsters. Gays, um, all kinds of groups go, and Austin is that one in Texas.
1: That is true. That's true. They call us the Blueberry and the Tomato Soup. <laughs> okay. I've always liked that.
2: And you have bats. You have lots of cool bats.
1: We do have bats. If we had more time, I would I would uh, tell you how I think the bats are kind of a scam. But
2: oh, really, the bat scam? Yeah, but a bunch I don't, of guano, bunch of bat a bunch of bats, a bunch
1: of guano. Yeah, it's a bunch of guano. It stinks. <laughs> uh, okay.
2: Well, I don't need to ruffle any bat feathers.
1: No, I don't I don't want to uh to damage our tourism industry too much. No,
2: no, no. God no
1: Heavens no. Uh well so what should we expect from an evening with Bruce Campbell?
2: Uh the unexpected. <laughs> well, you know, these things will go in whatever direction they go in. Um uh, Army of Darkness I think they're showing. Yes. So it's fun to come and make fun of a movie that's four hundred years old. <laughs> um and enjoy the current relevance of it or not. or You know, that movie bombed at the time, but it has flourished in its afterlife. So that's mainly why I still enjoy sort of milking it. A, because it was such a pain in the ass to make. B, because it bombed. And now it's considered like, you know, it's been on American movie classics. So, you know, it, it's aged pretty well. So it's, it's worth <laughs> taking it around, because now I get to show it to the, the new generation. Right. the new people. So it works out fine. It's going to be a fun evening. Uh, normally I'll do an extended intro and give any fun facts, you know, a little bit about the movie, and then they watch the movie, and then uh, we'll do a little more of an extended Q&A afterward just to torment people. And I think some people paid a little more to get a photo and a book because uh, I'm actually, I'm there honestly selling books. It's a book, book sales disguised as an evening with Bruce Campbell.
1: <laughs> yeah, stay on your hustle, man.
2: Well, it's the paperback, the trade paperback version of, of the latest Chins book. Yes,
1: so, I'm holding it in uh, my hands as we speak.
2: So that'll be there. Uh, so if you if you, you can either be a cheapskate, just come for the movie and the Q&A, fail a little more, get a picture and a book. E- easy peasy. Easy peasy. We give, we're very democratic. We give people the the choice.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up the book, so I did want to talk about that. This is round two of the memoir, right? Is that right? Because you wrote Chins this Could Kill. It is. This is
2: sequel. This mm-hmm. is Hail to the Chin*. Further confessions. It's technically part two of the trilogy. Right. The trilogy, the, the final confessions will come 15-ish years from now.
1: Ooh, okay, okay.
2: That's Mid-70s, ex- you know, feet will be up on the porch kind of deal.
1: So do you have an? I was going to ask you what was different about this go around. So I'll still ask you that: uh, what was different about this go around? And then if you can say what you think. Well, this go around
2: was the it's the mature version of my career Mm -hmm. where you start to say no to shit, yeah, and start to do more of your own stuff and learn what works and learn what doesn't work and more foibles. There's going to be more foibles certainly, more uh, tears and triumphs. It's the usual. I'm reading a George Harrison book right now. Even incredibly famous people, holy sh**, man, they got ups and downs like crazy like even a guy like George Harrison can completely flame out on a tour yeah his 1974 tour, complete flame out. he couldn't even sing he was he, he had lost his voice for the entire tour wow. and there was no pulling out, no going back. <laughs>
1: Are you a big Beatles fan?
2: I'm a fan of uh, I'm a fan of entertainers. That uh, that have had inter- interesting lives, so I'm always really fascinated to see how they deal with crap, what they went through. So everyone deals with the foibles. So this next incarnation is all of the above.
1: Well, what will the last part of the trilogy GB, Do you now, or is that is that going to cover I mean, the the, the life the left to live?
2: The, it's the summation. Yeah. You know, and in between, I'm going to put out a book of essays.
1: Oh, cool. Can you, can you tell us a little it, bit about, about what you're thinking about with that already? Or is that kind it, of still it's cooking?
2: It's time for the pretentious essay book. Right. Um, you know, I'm not just a B-movie actor. I'm a sentient human being. So what the hell? I don't know. We'll see. I'm going to kind of self-publish from now on. This is my last hurrah in the traditional publishing world.
1: All right. All right. Well, what a hurrah. What a hurrah to have. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk a little bit a little bit more about uh, the the books. So in the writing process, I know that writing memoir can be a little tricky because you're writing about true experiences. How do you how much do you share with the people that might appear in the stories while you're writing or after you're writing? It
2: depends on what you're saying about them. I normally don't trash people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've never had any issues. Like no one has called up and said, "Hey, dude, you know what the f?" Yeah. Um And I, you know, normally I would, I think I sent out the first book to all my pals of like, well, you know, and they all were like, yeah, you should cut this or cut that, that sucks, this, you know, they're, they're full of opinions, but nobody said you can't do that. Uh, That's not really the approach I take in the books. And some of the D bag, I tend to leave them out Mm -hmm. and like not even talk about them. It's, It's easier that way.
1: So um, let's talk a little bit about, since it is spooky season, it is October. Uh, that's right.
2: That's my payday season.
1: That's yeah, the time when you, when I'm sure that's you drive. That's my Christmas. <laughs> it's your nightmare, your nightmare before Christmas. <laughs> that's right. Very good. Thank you. I'm quick sometimes. Just sometimes. You are quick. Only sometimes. Uh, so obviously you are very famous and beloved for playing Ash in the Evil Dead franchise. I know you said after... The uh, Star series uh, went off the air that you were retiring Ash. Um, But then I also read some supports that you might be producing another film in the franchise and that you're maybe going to be voicing the character in a video game that's coming out. What can you tell us about where your place in the the Evil Dead firma stands?
2: Yeah, basically producing 100%. uh, Just like we produced the Fede Alvarez 2013 Evil Mm -hmm. Dead. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not really calling them like sequels or anything anymore. They're just Evil Dead movies. Kind of like the Star Wars movies. They're not really part of a George Lucas numbering system anymore. Yeah. It's just like the rise of this guy, the death of this guy, the, you know, that just come up with bogus titles. So I think we're going we're gonna to do a modern day, uh, be here now, Evil Dead, uh, an urban one. So we're going to uh, produce that. Sam Raimi has handpicked uh, a a talented young filmmaker that we will torment into hopefully doing a good scary job because we think there's a lot more stories to tell of completely innocent unqualified people having to save the world yeah you know because we think those are good heroes we think the best heroes are the ones who have no skills whatsoever yeah do you have because then the audience goes well how the hell is he going to get out of this right if you're a navy seal you would go yeah come on dude Wrap, wrap this up. <laughs> but in this case, you go, God, I don't know how this guy's... He's just... This guy's a stock boy. I don't know how it's going to work.
1: Right, right. Is there, are there any kind of real-life analogs that you can think of to like an unqualified person that has been influential uh, that you find inspiring?
2: Now, wait a second. Give me that again.
1: You said that you think that, you know, it's compelling for people to watch stories of people who maybe were not qualified to solve the problem at hand. Then have right, to... that's
2: correct. In, in a
1: movie setting. In a movie setting. I, now, so I was asking, can you think of any real-life real examples of heroes like that that have inspired you?
2: Harry Truman.
1: Okay. Yeah. What, what was it about Harry Truman?
2: Uh, well, FDR died about an hour into, into Harry Truman's, you know, Harry Truman had just gotten there as a the vice president. Yeah. And everyone thought he was a schmo and a loser, and they, they didn't trust him, and FDR dies about an hour later, bam. He's got to deal with dropping the bomb, World War II, I mean, all the, the, he's probably one of the most underrated, completely impressive presidents yeah. we've ever had. Well, he was
1: a haberdasher before he was a politician. He was it?
2: a haberdasher, so he looked sharp. Yeah. Double-breasted suit.
1: He looked sharp while he was, uh... A yeah, guy.
2: while he was saving the world. While
1: saving the world, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> and you can do that. Much he like yourself. <laughs> well, see, I, I don't save the world, though. I endanger it. Oh, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> well, so you uh, while you're endangering the world, so you are a horror icon, um, and I know that those you, are your words; those are
2: not my words.
1: Okay, yes, so, I don't
2: use words like that.
1: All right. Well, I, 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 some people would call you that. Let's let's say that.
2: That's fine. That's fine. You know, it's not like I don't like to hear it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's a flattering thing to hear. Of course, sure. I, I assume. So, in the world of horror, I know that you also have a love of movies and of uh, entertainment. What are some of if you were writing Bruce Campbell's recommended list of the scary movie canon, like what are some things that you think people should watch?
2: The original Exorcist. Okay. The original, original. Because um, it has adults in the cast. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. And they're like real actors. It's directed by William Friedkin, who's like a real director. And the approach that they took, it was a great premise, I thought. A priest who's doubting his faith, okay, let's have him do an exorcism. Mm -hmm. But his worst nightmare comes true because he's not sure if he can do it. Again, unqualified. Yeah. Guy who says, I shouldn't be, I, I don't know if I can pull this off. Happens on his watch. Great premise. Really well done. Linda Blair, a revelation. Yeah, totally. Dick Smith, great makeup artist. It was a mature horror movie.
1: When I first saw uh, the Evil Dead movies, you know, I was eighteen years old during the summer, watching them at three a.m. with you know my dirtbag friends. Uh, I'm sure you've heard a lot of stories from people about what the movies have meant to them. Uh, Oh, sure. What 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 were some of the maybe more more touching uh, stories people have told you, or more memorable?
2: You know, father, uh, father and son who had nothing in common but those movies and like they didn't really get along but they liked those movies mm-hmm. uh guys who've died who they were good friends and like i si- i've signed stuff like i signed a i i signed my first urn full of ashes oh wow to a guy who was dead signed it to him from their friends two or three friends brought him to me
1: at like a comic and, book convention or something
2: yeah just this last uh last weekend
1: oh my gosh wow yeah, uh, what event was the- that at
2: uh, I'd have to look it up. That's okay. Um, I could tell you. I can also. There's, these are growing like weeds. So you got to keep track of. Rock and Shock in Boston. Rockin I think shock. it was a, someone brought an urn to someone who was a fan. Uh huh. So I signed it to that dead person, and then gave them their signed urn full of ashes.
1: Do you know if they were going to like put them in a mausoleum somewhere? Or I don't know what
2: the plan. <laughs> but the, it, it meant a lot to them, so that's all that matters. It's because it hands. was a, the movies were something they all watched together, and now that person's gone. Yeah, man. And that person didn't have a chance to say hi. Never had a chance to meet me. Yeah. So you know, uh, yeah, you do get that. You get a lot of uh, um, another. You get a lot of. Uh, I was going through a tough time. So and so movie helped me through a tough time or I was dying from cancer. You know, you get a little bit of that business mm-hmm. too. I was recuperating from some horrible accident and this movie, you know, got me through. That's always good. You like to hear those. Cause that's what the arts are for. Mm-hmm. To distract us from our miserable lives, to show us a higher way, to encourage us, to give us hope, you know, whatever the arts can, they have many uses.
1: Absolutely. No, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask you, so I know that you got started with Super 8 Filmmaking with Sam and me and your buddies. Um, Nowadays, we have YouTube and every kid has a camera in their pocket and can, you know, make movies that way and there's actual feature-length films, you know, they're just shot entirely on an iPhone. Uh, What are your thoughts on kind of the democratization of filmmaking?
2: Uh, A, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I wish the hell I had an iPhone when I was 18. Mm -hmm. We would have burned the chip out of that thing. <laughs> um, but what it doesn't change is the is the ability to tell stories. Just because you got an iPhone, you still have to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be whatever story you want, but it still challenges you to create something that you tell a story from A to Z. Um, the old days tended to weed out the slackers a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you had to get insurance for a camera, and they wouldn't rent it to you unless you could tell them who was going to operate it so it wouldn't get broken. Right. You know you had to bring it back at a certain time and you know you had to get a roll of film from Kodak and you had to buy it from them if you didn't have the money, tough titty and if that ran out, you didn't have money to go buy more film. well, that was it, so it tended to make you make quicker, harder decisions, and whereas slackers now go. Should I edit on a Monday or a Wednesday? You know they don't. There's no. There's no gun to their head anymore. So there was a little bit to the, um, the analog method of making movies, which was very painstaking. Which again would weed people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to really want to do it because it was such a nightmare. The technical side of making a movie, even a 16 millimeter movie, right? right. So. Uh, so it can certainly be done. Great, great movies can be done on an iPhone. I really believe that. But um, you tend to get a little more of an amateur component who won't really think it all the way through, or they'll, t- they'll take it. It'll be just kind of like they're just dicking around, really, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. If you really wanted to make a good movie on an iPhone, you totally could. No yeah. question about it.
1: Yeah. The cream just needs to rise to the top, as it were. Sure. Well, Bruce, uh, This has been great. Uh, Thank you so much for talking to us. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you really wish I had asked you? Is there something else that's kind of been on your mind that you wanted to get out there?
2: (laughs) Um, No, just that I I look forward to coming back to Austin because they appreciate the arts. And there's some cities that you go to because you have to, and some cities you go to because you kind of want to at the same time. Uh And Austin's actually one of those. Uh, thankfully. So I look forward to it every time.
1: That's our show. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, Copenhagen Furniture. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at LoveAustin360. And please leave us a review on iTunes, you know, because it helps other people find our podcast. I Love You So Much, The Austin 360 Podcast is a production of the feature staff of the Austin American Statesman. This episode was produced by Alyssa Vidalis. Our theme music is from local band Hard Proof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com. As always, we couldn't do this show without you listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your Necronomicons. Until next week, we'll see you fighting deadites. Since
0: 1993, Copenhagen Modern Furniture is Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary. With 25,000 square feet, Copenhagen showcases Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories for both home and office. Another plus, everything you see is in stock and ready for delivery. Whether you're looking for a simple leather sofa set or a full contemporary remodel, Copenhagen Imports has it. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, 2236 Breaker Lane, Austin. Copenhagen Modern Furniture. Visit us online at copenhagenliving.com.